0: Excellent. I just want to add my welcome to that of Chris's earlier. It's great to have you with us this afternoon. We are going to be continuing today our series in the New Testament letter to the Hebrews. And we're going to be reading today from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 through to 20 at the end of the chapter. So if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to get it out and open it up. Uh, or if it's on your device, then turn it on and look up Hebrews chapter 6. If you don't have one, then there are some on the table at the back. I'd encourage you to grab one of those uh, and read along as we go today. Now, just by way of introduction, I wanted to remind you of just what we talked about when we started this series in Hebrews about the the main aims of the writer to the Hebrews. And we said at the outset, the the main aim as you look through this book that the writer clearly had in mind was to encourage Christians to persevere in their faith, in the face of challenges and trials, in the face of temptation to turn their back on Jesus and to run to other things for security or satisfaction or comfort. Instead, to hold the course and to keep on pursuing Jesus. It was written to encourage Christians who could be tempted to compromise their faith in order to live or enjoy the quiet life. Written to Christians who could be tempted to believe that there was something or someone better than Jesus. And that the writer to the Hebrews sounds out over and over And over again, this combination of warnings and encouragements, but consistently pointing out to them, and in turn to us, Jesus is better. So we get these warnings about falling away, or becoming passive, or sluggish, or inactive in our faith. We get warnings about the danger of drifting, Or becoming dull of hearing when it comes to God's word. And the impact of such drifting or sluggishness or apathy in our lives. We get great encouragements about what Christ has done for us. And through both the warnings and encouragements we see over and over and over again. That we would be crazy (laughs) to put our hope or trust in anyone or anything other than Jesus. That, that whatever you're going through, whatever is set out in front of you, trust me, Jesus is better. And I want to say to you today, these warnings and encouragements are just as much for us as they were for the first receivers of this letter. There will be things that, draw our attention and our affections away from Christ and we need to be reminded we need to heed the warnings don't go there they're not worth it they won't do what they're promising to Jesus is better look to him find your hope in him and there'll be other times perhaps where we're tempted to just kind of dial it down and compromise our faith in one way or another to just kind of bring us slightly closer in line with culture because it's more comfortable that way. Just just dial it back a bit. Live the easy life. And again, the writer to the Hebrews, over and over again, say, guys, don't. <laughs> he's, he's better. He's worth it all. And we need to hear that message today just as they did then whatever else is on offer, Jesus is better. And we're going to pick up where Chris left off last week. And those of you who are here will remember that we've just been through one of those warning passages where the writer to the Hebrews issued a warning about those who hear the good news over and over again. And Chris pointed out that it could be even those who who sit in church, week in, week out, and hear the word of God explained, and yet they don't respond in saving faith. And as a consequence, they're like ground that soaks up the rain, and instead of yielding fruit, it just yields thorns and thistles. But the writer to the Hebrews, having issued that warning, states that he's convinced that his audience will heed the warning and that they'll respond in saving faith. And he exhorts them not to be sluggish or complacent or apathetic, but instead to imitate godly people who've gone before them in both faith and patience and hold on to the truth that Jesus is better. And that's where we pick up and what we're going to read today from chapter 6, verse 11. We begin to read together with these words. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. We're going to get onto an encouragement off the back of this warning. And as we kind of transition to that encouragement, we read this. Guys, you don't have to fumble around in the dark. There are great godly examples for you to follow. Don't be sluggish in your faith. Instead, follow the example of those who've gone before. Faith and patience. Inherit the promises of God. I don't know about you, but... I read some of the promises of God in the Bible. I think, I I want those. (laughs) I want to inherit the promises of God. And the writer to the Hebrews says, guys, how you're going to do that is by faith and patience. And faith we get. Patience, I just want to say before we move on, we're not always so good at. Why does he say patience is going to be required? Patience is required because the fulfillment of God's promises in the end is not instantaneous. At the point you put your trust in Him, you are not immediately in glory in the perfect presence of the Father. Are you? I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah? We put our faith and trust in Him for something that we will one day enjoy. But patience is required because life is tough. We, we still live in a fallen world with the impacts of that and the consequences of that. We still experience sickness, the consequences of sin. We experience suffering. And like I know most of you, and I know that life hasn't all been easy. And I know that you are yet to experience the fullness of the promises of God. Patience is required. Having written this encouragement to persevere and to imitate the faith and patience of those who have gone before, the writer to the Hebrews is going to give us a great example of faith and patience. And, and what their secret was to enduring. And he uses ex- Abraham as an example of patience and faith. And so we're going to read the rest of the chapter, and then we're going to begin to unpack this together. So We read from verse 13 about Abraham as our example. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation a hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Abraham was a great example of faith and patience. And to help us see that outworked, the writer to the Hebrews references an interaction between God and Abraham that we find in Genesis chapter 22. So in Genesis 22, verse 16 to 18, we read about a time when God restated his promise to Abraham. God came to him as an elderly man with a barren wife, and he promised him that he would make him the father of a great nation. And that his seed, his offspring, would bless the nations of the earth. And Abraham trusted God. Now, he, he wasn't perfect in patience. Those of you who know the story know that Abraham at one point tried to take matters into his own hands. His wife was old and barren, and so he thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe I could kind of find a way to make this happen. And he made loads of mistakes. One of them was that he uh, had a son with his wife's servant girl. Uh, And God dealt with him over that. And God restated again his promise to him. And eventually, at just shy of 100, Abraham and Sarah conceived Isaac, their promised son. as the story goes on God then speaks to Abraham and asks him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice what seems like the fulfillment of the promise this son the, the, the seed the one through whom Abraham would become a great nation offer him back to God and Abraham willingly goes and at the last minute God intervenes to stop, don't do it, and then we find these words from Genesis twenty-two sixteen to 18. God speaks and says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham has demonstrated his faith and trust in God in obedience by being willing to sacrifice his son. This is huge. Like we just said, Isaac, Abraham's son, was humanly speaking, his security for the future. The one who would care for and provide for him in his old age. But he was also clearly the provision of God. God had promised that Sarah would bear a son. Isaac... This was God's provision, God's blessing. But Abraham didn't withhold what God had given from God. Instead, he responded in willing obedience. He didn't put his hope in Isaac for his future. It's really important. He trusted God. He didn't put his hope in what at that point in time looked like the fulfillment of God's promises. He trusted the one who made the promise to be faithful and to keep it. And as a result, God restates his promise to Abraham. This promise that he would bless him and his descendants and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring. God promises to bless Abraham his people, the descendants of Abraham. But then, God does something else. God swears an oath to Abraham that he will keep his promise. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews picks up here. And if you notice in those verses in Genesis, it says, by myself I have sworn declares the Lord. There's an oath. I'm swearing an oath to you to keep my promise. God's done two things. He's made a promise and now he solidifies that promise by swearing an oath to keep it. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews picks up on. And God gives him insight to show us What is so important here? See, in Hebrews we read, in verse 16, that people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. They're saying, like, if people want to say to you, like, this is definite, I really am telling the truth, this is going to happen. They swear an oath to it. We read from verse 17 and 18. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purposes, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, that is, his promise and his oath, we who have fled for refuge might have strong Encouragement to hold fast the hope set before us. Or you could rephrase that final sentence to say, we who have fled to him for refuge would have strong encouragement, just like Abraham did, that God's promises are going to come to pass. What did God do? He promised... And he swore an oath. Because people swear an oath when they want to let someone know this is binding, God did the same. He, he didn't do it for his own sake, right? He did it for our sake. God's promise would be enough. See, it's by two unchangeable things that God cannot lie. God cannot lie. His word is faithful and true. His promise is certain. But God's desire, did you notice that in those verses? God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchanging nature. His desire is that those who have fled to him for refuge would be strongly encouraged. This is what the writer to the Hebrews wanted his first readers to get more than anything in this section of the letter, and this is what I want you to hear this afternoon. God's desire for you, if you are a Christian, if you have turned your back on sin and fled to him for refuge, God's desire is that you would be strongly encouraged this afternoon. That you would be strongly encouraged in the certainty of the hope you have in him. This is amazing, isn't it? Like, just allow that to sink in. The king of heaven is concerned with... The encouragement of his people. He desires that you would be encouraged this afternoon. His concern isn't a a harsh, go out and do my commands, go out and do my bidding. Though he knows that when we really grasp his grace, his love, And his mercy, that actually our delight is to obey him. Our delight is to do his bidding. But his concern, his desire, is that we run to him for refuge and we find strong encouragement in the certainty of his promises. And to ensure that we do, he doubled down on it. He promised. It's impossible for him to lie that was already certain but for our encouragement he doubled down on it and he made an oath he didn't do it because there was any danger he'd break his promise he did it that you might be encouraged when people swear an oath they appeal to a higher authority or something precious don't they so in court put your hand on a bible You swear an oath, you pledge to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Why? Well, it doesn't actually mean anything to a lot of people who have to do it. But but to those who are convinced in the truth and the authority of God's word, you're appealing to the authority of his word. Just as this is true, the words I'm going to speak are going to be true. You're appealing to that higher authority, or you appeal to something very valuable, very precious. Maybe this isn't the best illustration of this, but I remember vividly a boy who I was at primary school with called Peter Isherwood, who frequently swore on his mum's life that things were true. It was one of his favorite expressions. Honestly, I swear. I swear on my mum's life. I didn't do it. I swear on my mum's life. I did. I've seen it. I swear on my mum's life. What was he trying to do? And what are people doing when they use those kind of expressions? It's a kind of oath. What we're saying is, I I promise it's true so much so that if it's not true, my mum's life would be forfeited. Now, I don't think he knew the gravity of what he was saying when he used that expression at primary school, but that's what it means. That's what we're saying. It's like, I love my mum, and she's so precious. She's dear to me, so you can know I'm telling the truth. Well, there is no higher authority to whom God could appeal when he swore an oath. He couldn't put his hand on... The Bible, which is his word, <laughs> that there is no higher authority in heaven or on earth by which God could swear by, and there is nothing and no one more precious. So God swears by himself. He swore by himself, by his name, his reputation, his honour. In effect, God is saying when he spoke those words to Abraham and in turn to us, my reputation and name will be muck. God be cursed if I don't bless my people like I've promised to. That's what he's saying. I've promised it. And you can trust my promise to the extent that I'm willing to say, God be cursed. My name be just muck if I don't fulfill my promise. That's the oath which God swears. That's serious, right? That the God of creation, the King of heaven, the holy creator of all, stakes his reputation on fulfilling his promise to you to bless his people. Why does he do it? Not because he needed to. He does it for the strong encouragement of his people, of those who have fled to him for refuge. So we can be certain this afternoon that God will bless his people. Well, why is this good news for us? You think, well, I'm sure it was really encouraging for Abraham. What's it got to do with us? Why does the writer to the Hebrews want us to know that? Because we're not ethnic Jews. To the best of my knowledge, no one in this room is. There may be, but I don't think so. We're not humanly speaking the descendants of Abraham. The heirs of the promise in that sense. So why is it good news for us? Good news, because if you are in Christ, you are included in. You have become heirs of the promise. We could turn to so many places in Scripture to see this. In fact, even back in Genesis, when God spoke this promise, did you notice? All the nations of the earth will be blessed. There's a sense in which the blessing of God through his seed which finds its fulfillment in Jesus, was always about the ends of the earth, was always about actually those who were not the human descendants of Abraham. But we read in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9 a very clear and helpful, succinct unpacking of this. We read from verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. If you have faith, Are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's you and I, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. God's promise to Abraham was not. Primarily because of his ethnicity. It was God's sovereign choice and Abraham's faith. Those who have faith in Christ are blessed along with Abraham. Included in heirs of the promise, as the writer to the Hebrews writes it. Those who have fled from sin and the hollow promises of this world and have fled to God for refuge and salvation... They are the heirs of the promise. If you're a Christian today, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you are leaning your weight on him, put your hope in him, then you are one of the heirs of the promise. And God wants you to know today that his plan is that you would be blessed. And his plan that you would be blessed, he takes so seriously that he stakes his name on it. And the most full and glorious outworking of that blessing is eternal life with him. Free from all that is broken, and painful about life right now. And that hope is guaranteed by his word. So hold fast. Persevere. Faith and patience. Hold on. But that's not all. See, God's promise to Abraham and in turn to you is unfathomably secure and certain. Like, that should be enough for us to have strong encouragement, shouldn't it? Like, that we read God's plan to bless his people, the hope of eternity that we have in him. And he says, I promised it, and I secure it with an oath. Like that by two unchangeable things, you might be strongly encouraged. I find that incredibly encouraging. Like God stakes his reputation on the certainty of his promise to you this afternoon. He's so serious about it. That he says, like, let my name be made muck. Mark if I don't keep that promise to you. it's Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. But as we read on, we discover there's yet more. There's yet more encouragement for us as heirs of the promise. We read from verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. This is a picture of the temple. In the temple that we find in the Old Testament that God gave his people instructions to build, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place, that was shielded off from the rest of the temple by a curtain, and the, the most holy place was where the presence of God dwelt. And the high priest could go in once a year into the holy place, into the presence of God on behalf of the people, having made purification for their sins and for the sins of the people. Once a year they could go in. But we have a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek we've read already and we're going to come back again in the book of Hebrews about the certainty of Jesus as our great high priest who doesn't just go into the holy of holies once a year, but is now seated in the perfect presence of God beyond the curtain at the right hand of the Father, there as a man in heaven, the forerunner, the first of many who will be there in the perfect presence of God forever. And the writer to the Hebrews now says, this is an anchor for the soul, that Jesus is there as a forerunner, that we one day will join him. God's promise and oath was an anchor for Abraham through the storms of life. And we now have an even better anchor Anchor in heaven. Jesus lives there now as an anchor for us. We're tethered to him in the presence of the Father, this sure and certain, steadfast hope. anchors us through the storms of life. Incredible certainty. Be strongly encouraged. Our hope is secure. Be strongly encouraged. If you are in Christ, your future is secure. Whatever comes, whatever trials, whatever storms, there's peace. To be found because we have an anchor in heaven. Christ Jesus. When you know the certainty of God's promise, it gives you courage to persevere, doesn't it? (laughs) That's why we have this passage. For our strong encouragement that we would persevere. Faith and patience. That we'd be steadfast. That we wouldn't be apathetic or sluggish in our faith. But that we would hold the course. That we wouldn't drift. But we would remain steadfast. Whatever happens. He will bless you. He will deliver you. He will sustain you through the storms and bring you to the other side. That's his promise. And it's certain. Abraham had a long and painful wait. Some really difficult and confusing experiences along the way. But he persevered in faith and patience. And guess what? God was faithful to him. God was faithful to him, just as he will be to you. God's desire this afternoon is for your strong encouragement. I want to encourage you, flee to him for refuge. Don't give in to compromise for an easier life. Trust him, hope in him believe that his character and purposes are unchanging. And with faith and patience, we will inherit all that he's promised. I want to pray for us to that end this afternoon and then we're going to share communion together. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement we find in your word this afternoon. Lord, I thank you that our our view in you is not kind of just short-term, what's immediately in front of us. Lord, I thank you that even in moments where it just feels like the wheels are coming off and everything's going wrong and it's, it's hard and exhausting and frustrating, Lord, that in those moments we have in you an anchor for our soul we have in you a eternal hope that is unfathomably secure in, in many ways. Lord, you have promised it, and Lord, that would be enough because you are incapable of lying, and yet you secured it with an oath, staking your own namesake, your reputation on it. Oh, Lord, this <laughs> is so encouraging. Lord, that you would make your promise in that way and then you, you've sealed it again in the finished work of Jesus who is now bodily resurrected, a man in heaven, in your perfect presence forever, the forerunner, the first of many, just as he is now in your presence forever, we too will be in your presence forever. and There will be no pain and no suffering and no sickness and no brokenness, but instead perfect joy forever. What a hope. What an anchor for our souls. Lord, I pray that just as we see in your word, your desire is for our strong encouragement. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just apply that to our hearts right now? Lord, that we would take that encouragement to heart. We would see all other promises, all other hopes, all other things that would vie for our affection And offer us security. We would see them for what they are. Just hollow rubbish pretenders. That fail and let us down. And make promises they can't keep. Yet you are the one. Whose word cannot and does not. And will not ever fail. We trust you Lord. Amen.